listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the fourth part of our series, Jesus is Greater Than Urban Legends. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open with me to Luke's Gospel. And this series, I feel like, is just heating up. Uh, This series, if you've missed a part of it, is about urban legends. And there are urban legends in culture, for sure. And I've used the example of, we've all heard, if you have Mentos and Pepsi, within the same hour, you'll explode. I've tried that. It's not true. But I do encourage you to try it because it is fun. Uh, But there are urban legends in culture, but there's also urban legends, myths, that have been put on God, the Bible, and his church. And I believe that we, as preachers, the, the church really needs to show people what the truth is in these areas. Why? Because Jesus said it's the truth that sets you free. Can I hear an amen? I want to read for you a passage out of Ephesians before we read in Luke. Uh, This is what it says. I really felt like this was a, a great passage for a series like this. Ephesians 5. Don't waste your time on useless work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham that they are. Rip the cover off those frauds. See how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. These are desperate times. Gang, when I read that and it says, rip the cover off those frauds, I just feel like, man, that is magic juice right there for a series like this where people believe some of these these urban legends about God in the Bible that that, that we hear, and what we're going to do is we're going to shoot a hole right through it and show you what the, 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 the Word of God, God's Word, actually is trying to convey. Uh, so here's some of the thoughts that we're going to be dealing with today. Uh, the church is only full of judgmental people. That's a lie. No one can judge me but God. Judge not, never, no, not Ever. Like that is, I think, the worst sin you could do to anyone in America, right? America's cardinal sin, like murder, you know, boys will be boys. But judging me is the worst thing I think that you could do. And I got to tell you, those are urban legends. They're urban legends. And you say, wait a second, Pastor Joe, you're not going like like south on me. You're not going to become one of those crazy guys that got like picketing signs and you're angry. No friend the furthest thing could be true. But at the same time, people have believed things about God, the Bible, and Christians that have made it so you can't bring even a hard truth to light. And I want to deal with that today. Is judging wrong? Well, there's a simplistic answer, and then there's a simple answer. I'm going to try to give you a simple and direct answer today. I just want to point out for a second, we have a flood going on, and I'm not Noah, But thank God you gave to the matching funds. You hear that? Just everybody listen for a second. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you so much for your matching funds. The roof will be put in in short order. Okay. You can edit that out of the video. Psalm 75 and verse 7, the Bible clearly says this, that God is the judge. Anybody else believe that scripture is true, right? God is the judge. 
And I believe that with my whole heart. In the New Testament of Matthew 7, the Bible says that Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So wait a second. It's saying that you will know people by their actions. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, that's a judgment. You're making a judgment about what somebody's doing. We see judgments all the time. If you've ever been to an award show, if your kids ever won a scholarship, uh, if we ever like, put a grade on a kid's homework, those are all judgments about what's going on. Now, it's not that I am discounting the fact that God is judge. But Jesus also says that you're going to know people by their fruit. So there's clearly a part for us to play here. What is it? And what is judgment and what is it not? I had you turn to the book of Luke. I'm going to start reading in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, if you would. Luke 6, I'm going to start in verse uh, 6, in, uh, cha- I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 37. The Bible says, judge not, and I'm going to read this out of Amplified Version, judge not, neither pronouncing judgment nor subjecting censure, uh, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and pronounce guilty, and you will not be condemned and pronounced guilty. Acquit and forgive and release. Give up resentment. Let it drop, and you will be acquitted and forgiven and released. I'm going to jump to verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice or consider the beam of timber that is in your own eye. I love that picture because I like doing handiwork stuff. You know, you're working with a chop saw, and every once in a while you get just a little speck in your eye. How many of y'all know a paper cut or a little speck in your eye is all it takes for you to be able to fly like Superman? I mean, it's like you can't take it. It hurts so bad, you know? And what the Bible is saying is, look, your brother's got a speck this much is true, but consider this. You have a telephone pole, in essence, a big old timber log sticking out of your own eye. Deal with that first. I like that. Verse 42. It says, you actor, you pretender, you hypocrite. First, everybody say first. First take the beam out of your own eye, and then, everybody say then. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Wait a second. That does not sound like inactivity, does it? That does not sound like we're not doing anything or we have no role to play. It doesn't sound like a Christian isn't making any godly discernment about what's going on. Verse 43, For there is no good, healthy tree that bears decayed fruit, nor the other hand does not decayed, worthless, sickly tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known and identified by its own fruit. It echoes what it says in Matthew's gospel. Again, There's something about what people do that we can see that you can make a discernment about. It ties it all together, and it says, look, you can be talking to people about things, but first, then, first take the big old telephone pole, the plank out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to talk to your brother. This passage, people think that this is all about judge not, and they literally take this page of their Bible, it says judge not, and they might just well take a Sharpie marker. And, and just blot out the rest of the chapter, verse, the whole thing. If, if you want to ask your average person what the New Testament is, it's literally just, don't judge me. Don't take an appraisal of my life. And guys, this passage, in context, has far more to do with being a hypocrite or not being a hypocrite than it has anything to do with judging. It does have something to do with judging, but it has more to do with you being a person who's not 
a hypocrite. A hypocrite, easy uh, working definition, is somebody who never intends to do what they say, right? It is also true that we make judgments all the time, good and bad, right, wrong. And the question then is this, if we know that we're making judgments all the time, we know that we have a part to play, we know we're not supposed to be a hypocrite, what kind of judgments are we supposed to be making as believers and how do we judge not and at the same time make judgments? How does this all work together? So glad that you asked. It is so confusing. I gave you an incredible slide. Maybe you want to take out your phone and take a picture of this. I want to explain for you judgment. English is a very limited language. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. And in some of those languages, it is, it is a richer language with more description than in English. And in other ways, it just doesn't translate the same. And in another way altogether, the English language is fluid and it changes on us. So judgment. Here's one definition, making a condemning, broad stroke, determination about someone, criticizing, detracting, making a pronouncement of guilty over someone's life, judging the person. Friend, that's wrong. Judge not. But then there's judgment, completely different than judgment, by the way. Judgment is making a discernment about a godly conviction, assessing Building up, making a loving appraisal of actions that would harm someone's life. Seeking, uh, or I'm sorry, revealing already judged sin. That is right. What are we trying to do here? We're not trying to judge the person. We're trying to reveal to the person some sin that's already been judged by God. Does that make sense? We're trying to offer to them, hey, here is a better way. God has better things for you. So when I hear, only God can judge me, I have found in my ministry, it's typically a statement that people make to rationalize awful behavior, to avoid consequences for, for what they're trying to do in their life. And when a pastor, a preacher a brother or sister in the Lord tries to come to you and give you some weighty truth. It is not designed to harm you, to hurt you. That confrontation is not a bad thing. There's something in American culture that makes us want to avoid confrontation at all costs. And I'm telling you as a pastor, you got to lean into some of that altogether. Say amen, somebody. Write this down. Simply conveying something that God has already judged as sin is not condemning judgment. You're not judging the person by sharing with them that God's already judged this. Does that make sense? You're trying to show them that this is hurting you, that this is not God's best. This isn't going to work in your favor. And people get offended at this because the, the emotions rise whenever something serious like this happens. You start to correct somebody or bring up something about their behavior or life, take any kind of appraisal, it feels like it's detracting. It feels very personal. But though I get how it feels and correction is not fun, it can feel personal, but the loving Christian is actually trying to correct the behavior, not trying to punish or condemn the person. When it's done the right way, gang, it's an amazing act of love. Say amen, somebody. Y'all okay with just us putting in these shower spouts for you? This is, I believe in baptism by immersion, but we also offer Lutheran baptisms over on the west side of the sanctuary. Just trying to please everybody. 
Just trying to compete with the water. Praise God. So, only God can judge me is actually even a mentality that has seeped into the church. It's gone into a lot of churches where they don't talk about weighty issues. They don't talk about things that have consequence about them. And let me just tell you, that's not good. It's something that holds people back from taking quality steps in their faith. And it's something that ultimately holds people back from knowing the truth that ultimately when they say only God can judge, that's a true statement. We need to know the truth. Jason Malik said this, faith in God by definition will grate against a morally ambiguous culture. I want to say that again. Faith in God by definition will grate against a morally ambiguous culture. So society, culture, they just say, you know, whatever floats your boat. Like, we, we don't want to judge you. That's what society says. But your faith, your conviction in God, the God of the Bible, it is diametrically opposed to what culture says. It rarely lines up, if ever. And so, gang, what we need to know is that there is a truth. I'm going to try that one more time. There is a truth. Amen? And, and, and the question then is, who gets to say who's right or who's wrong. I have four kids. People ask me, Pastor Joe, why do you have four kids? They're so young. We had four kids because we don't want five. Um, But we have a five-year-old. He'll be six this month, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. And I should have bought stock and loves diapers before any of that happened. But I've got these young kids, and I'm training them. And as I was rating this message this week, I imagined for a second if I was like, now look, Salvatore, Aurelio, Filippo, you can't do that. I want you not to. You need to go sit on the couch. You need to do this. I just imagined them looking at me and saying, who are you to judge me? Lord, I hope they believe in the doctrine of the rapture because you're going to experience it. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's foolish, right? I'm dad. I know better. I want you to live a great life, be a godly person, a great young man or young woman, and I'm trying to help you. Who am I to judge you? It has nothing to do with me hurting you to judge you. Yet, in the church world, we can't say what's right or what's wrong. Now, think about that. There's a lot of people that don't want me to say some of the things that I say. If we do, they label us as intolerant or mean-spirited. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. I can't think of a more accepting crowd than the evangelical church in the United States of America. Wow. And the truth is this. We have a standard, and we communicate that standard. And while culture says anything goes, faith in God calls us to make some godly judgments, to make some godly discernments in this lifetime. Say amen, somebody. Now, discernment or judgment in the Bible is the Greek word kritikos. It's where we get the word critic from, and it it literally means distinguishing or judging. When I say the word, hey, you you need to help your brothers and sisters in Christ, you might have to say, hey, you know, this behavior, you know, I saw this, I made this discernment that you were doing this, and it's not the best for you. It's a little easier for you to hear in English. But the reality is that it's just the same word as judgment. It's just in our minds in America in 2021 and maybe the last 50 years, judgment means the worst. I mean, and, and, and 
I use that adjective to talk about judgy churches or judgy people that put their nose up at you. We all know what that means, but we don't know what the biblical judgment discernment means altogether, and we need to. We make constant judgments. Have you ever noticed people don't get upset when you agree with them? I don't get upset when you agree with me. When you say amen when I'm preaching, I kind of like that, just to be honest. But isn't that a judgment? Could you imagine, you know, you're, you're inside a, a meeting at work and your boss is laying out a plan. He said, that's a very good plan. He goes, hey, don't judge me, man. I mean, that'd be crazy, you know. Or you go up to your wife, boy, Kai, you look so beautiful. Don't judge me, you know. I mean, think that's nuts, right? We make judgments all the time. We only get angry or upset or perturbed when it's about something that we're doing that we maybe even like what we're doing, but we don't want to hear about it. It's okay when people are telling us that we're awesome, but we need to learn how to lean into corrective and right-wrong discernments that are made in our life. Okay, here's the heart of the issue. People aren't against judgment. They're against you disagreeing with them or their opinion. Those who say don't judge or only God can judge are actually truly saying, how dare you disagree with me? How dare you voice that? Are you saying that I'm wrong? Who do you think that you are? And as a pastor, I've been a senior pastor for eight years. I've been in ministry full-time for much longer. I've been a licensed pastor for, I think, 12, 13 years now. Like, I've been in this thing, everybody. From my experience, the time where people wig out the most is when it comes to morality. That's where you hear, don't judge me the most, or only God can judge me the most, is when it comes to moral decisions. And the funny thing is this, I've been preaching messages before on a completely different topic, and I've used just a, a small reference to something that had to do with morality, and I've had somebody come up to me, and they're just huffing and puffing, how dare you say, and they, they think that it's about them, and I'm preaching it just to them. Friend, there's an old saying in the preaching world. You throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit. Think about that when you're going to sleep tonight. Seriously. It's because God convicted them when they heard the word of God, but they don't want any, any discernment about their life whatsoever. And it's moral things that hold people back. When I talk about people living together and how I stay, statistically, there's no way your relationship will last period at the end of that sentence. Like, it's, it's not going to happen. You can play house for as long as you want, act like big boys, big girls. Well, Pastor Joe, the, the state doesn't make me marry. That piece of paper does it. It's between me and God. Well, great. Let's have the ceremony then. But even still, even in the Old Testament, you had to provide a certificate of divorce. I think paperwork is important, but let's just say that it's not for the sake of your argument. Let's do it. Let's change names. Let's do the covenant. Um, e, ooh, ah, well, I'm going to lose this, that benefit. No. Ah, we see. We see that we don't want to submit to God's best. When I talk about alternative lifestyles, people living immoral lifestyles, I'm not even going to name it. You know what I'm talking about. Statistically, it's safer for you to be a chain smoker than for you to live in a moral lifestyle like the one we know I'm talking about. Yet, our government pays for billboards and expensive marketing campaigns in schools to talk about not smoking. Yet, you are so much safer smoking a big old stogie for breakfast than you are living that immoral lifestyle. Your lifespan goes down by decades when you do it. 
but yet I can't even bring that up, and I, can't, I couldn't even read you scriptures in the Bible? Now, you say, well, Pastor Joe, it's legal for you to say it. In the United States of America today, it may be legal. It doesn't mean that I won't face litigation. And if you go just north to Canada, men of God are now being arrested for opening their churches and taking a stand on literally what the Bible says. That man of God had an obligation to keep his church open. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's why many of you came from your churches, and God bless them, they faced hard decisions. But one of them was not to close their doors. That was an omen. That's an amen right there. Was it? They don't have an option. I'm going to tell you something about the freedom of religion in America. It's so free, I don't have the right by God or by country to close these doors on you. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church, and the doors are open. Who gets to decide what's right and wrong? Atheists in this country right now, they'll say that there's no God, but at the same time, they don't want to be lied to. Don't lie to them. Atheists don't want to be lied to. Atheists that are in a marriage, whatever that even means in their context, they don't want their spouse to cheat on them. They don't want to let. Well, wait a second. All of those things, the Bible says, according to Romans 2, the Bible says that even in unbelievers' hearts, that the law of God is written on your heart. Well, it's not right to lie to somebody. That's why. It's common moral law. No, it's not. There's nothing that lands on that except for when Moses walked down with two tablets. That's what separated us from barbarians into civilized people. It is God's law, which is now written on our hearts. And so, friend, listen, even the atheist that tries to lift up rules and regulations, why should I listen to those? Why should I follow along with it? Who gets to set the standard of right and wrong? See, making judgment is not really the problem for God in most instances. It's the way that we make godly discernments. Our world right now has gone buck wild. They don't know what they're talking about. And they're feeding us this line. It's unbelievable. I thought it was bad enough a couple years ago where they're telling everybody, well, you can't have Snickers inside the vending machine at your schools because of of it being high calorie. And I'm thinking like, friend, that's crazy. If I want a Snickers, I'm going to eat my Snickers in Jesus' name. Tell me or my kids what they're going to eat. But you see, when you let them into your health care, what happens is they have a vote with what you eat. Ah, enough of that, Bev. How about this one? Right now, everything is an effort to keep you safe. It's just to keep you safe. We're going to put you through hoops, make you jump through things you've never saw before, make you do jumping jacks. Normal people can't make anything done. We have to have the highest credentialed people on earth, pay thousands of dollars to accomplish what normal people could accomplish in a moment. Why? Just trying to keep you safe. You can go and abort a human child up to the moment it crowns the mother. Abortion on demand. And yet you can't have a job unless you have the jab. Just trying to keep you safe. That's a a whole load of baloney. I want to say something different. (laughs) It wasn't always safe, Bessie. It's wrong, isn't it? Who are they to tell you how to live your life and make judgment over you? Trip Lee, the Christian rapper, said this. Many people insist that you should never judge anyone. But in all honesty, 
they don't really believe that. They don't think it's wrong to call the cops on a burglar they see breaking into their neighbor's house. And there you have it, the irony. When you call out someone for taking a stance in what they believe, you're actually making a judgment about that person. So when I say, hey, listen, I love you, God has this standard, and somebody says, well, Pastor Joe, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't judge, I could say, you're judging me. And they could say, well, you're judging me, and we could play that useless game of tennis back and forth, and many people in America, many pastors in America think that's how theology works. Friend, that is a very limited view. The truth is much greater than that. Now, the person who insists we could never express a rational judgment against someone's behavior has a broken systematic theology. They don't believe what they believe. Them saying, judge not. You can even hear them do it, can't you? You've you've heard that, right? They're doing it! And these people can vote. i got to move on. i got to move past that. For them to expose as much is judgment, and they themselves don't act in the way that they proselyte about. Worldly philosophers that trounce, judge not, are often the most intolerant people of Christians and especially of people like me. They call me names. They call me a hater. They say, you're a bigot. And the furthest thing could be true. I love people from every background, every race, every creed. I mean, there's been times at this church where we've looked like the United Nations to the glory of God. I love everybody. And I've got to tell you, I don't hate anybody. When they hear the word of God and they interpret that as though I am judging them, they're missing the whole point. I'm not trying to bring the heat on anybody. I'm preaching the word of God. I'm in sales, not in management. I can prove to you I didn't write this, everybody. Help a brother out. Say amen. Amen. (laughs) And so... Only God can judge, Pastor Joe. Well, here's the deal. He will. Acts 17.31. He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. What does that mean, in righteousness? In his way of doing and being right, according to his standard. Does that make sense? And I think even those people that would say only God can judge, they're going to agree with that. Okay, Matthew 25. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them. Row, one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from goats. He will set the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. What are sheep? They're the Christian that's following God, his ways. They have a teachable spirit. When they hear a hard truth, they might leave like, oh, man, I, I got to do better. I, I, I can do better. But a goat, they eat anything, they say anything. You heard people talking smack about the church, talking about God, talking about me, talking about other Christians. They goat. They're a goat. Eat anything, stay anything. Stubborn, can't lead them anywhere. They know which way to go. You know, okay, all right. And only God can judge. Okay, he will. And we have to know his righteous ways. Question, how do you know God's righteous ways? Answer, the word of God. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and and marrow, not just the letter of the law, the joints, the structure, but the marrow. That's the life-giving part, right? And is the discerner of the thoughts and intents 
of the heart. The the way that you're going to be able to weigh this out and know how you're going to be judged, how your actions are going to be deemed by God is by the word of God. That's what's going to divide it all out. The church has a responsibility to share what God has already judged as right and wrong. Okay, that begs a whole cloud of questions. When should we bring this type of judgment or discernment? Who should bring it? When do we have the responsibility to share? How does it all work? Write it down. Number one, attend a church that's preaching the word of God. Just a suggestion, like New Chapel. A little partial, real believer in the vision there. But here's the idea. If, if that's what we're going to be judged by, now, now listen, it's not judge whether or not you go to heaven. That's on your response to Jesus. But on the response to your reward, on, on response to how you're going to be spending eternity, yeah, it's on what you do. Well, that's not grace, Pastor. It's Bible. Don't have more grace than Jesus, Okay. God is gracious, so gracious. You can go to heaven and live like a sinner. That's nuts, isn't it? But that's grace. You're born again. You realize he's, he's Lord. You try to make him Lord. You might fumble the rest of your days, but you make him Lord, you go to heaven. You will be judged on your works. Quiet in this Presbyterian church. 2 Timothy 4. This is what the Bible says I have to do at church. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. So this is not Congress where he can pass laws that go for you and not for me, okay? If it's not okay for a Christian to pass judgment on another Christian, it's not okay for a pastor to pass judgment. So apparently the word judgment's limited, right? I still have to preach the word, and I'm, I'm putting out God's judgment about it. And there's four different ways. In fact, put that scripture up there one more time, guys, that same one. It says, preach the word. That's a positive. Then you have correct, negative. Rebuke, negative. Exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, positive. You'll find in the word of God, oftentimes, God makes a sandwich when it comes to hard truths. He'll come in and he'll affirm you with some of the things you're doing right. He'll affirm some of the activities that you're getting done, and man, you're taking ground in this area. Now I need to talk to you about some things. And he'll deal with us on some hard things. And then he doesn't go, you slothful servant, now go! Fix it before you come back into my presence. No, he exhorts you, long-suffering. You see it? I have to preach the word to people, and the way that I do it matters. I'm not going to do it hypocritically, and I'm going to do this in a life-giving way where people leave, and and I believe you should leave and be like, man, I think I might have to make some changes, but not like, oh, man, I'm a slug. I can't believe it. This is awful. I want you to leave and be like, I can do this. It's going to be hard, but God has big things for me. Does that make sense, everybody? And so... If you want to feel good when you leave church, respond to the word quickly. That's the best I can give you. Number two, make sure that you're blameless in the area you're trying to help someone else on. Now, blameless does not mean perfect. That's that's not what the Bible's trying to say there. It's trying to say that, like, you're without blame in that area, okay? You might have done it in the past, but you're not involved in it now. Like, don't be a hypocrite. And, And so... Understand, 
the log in your eye, if you go up and you've got all kinds of problems, and maybe it's not even exactly the problem that this person has, but it's akin to it, it's around it, and you go up and you try to take their inventory, they can't even hear you. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think that we need to realize that. The last thing that we want is correction from someone else who's not walking the walk in their own life. People don't receive in that way. Does that make sense, everybody? Number three, approach is everything. Making a difference in their life, right? Don't just try to make a point. So if you're trying to criticize them with no help, leave them alone. Don't judge as to be condemning and to put something on them Mr. Clean can't take off and just make them feel like junk. That's not how God deals with people. Don't be critical as though you're sentencing them to hell. And that's really what judgment is. You say, this person is slime, they're rubbish, we're done with them, they're no good, they'll never crawl out of that swallower, it's, it's never going to happen. That's, that's judgment. That's, that's bad, right? And only God is judging. Thank God he doesn't do it till we're dead. <laughs> we have a chance up into our last breath to say, God, I, I'm sorry about what I made it. Now, realize this, and this is especially good for you parents in the room. When you discipline your kids, you're disciplining them to get the behavior out. You're not punishing them. There's a big difference. They do something wrong. You're trying to punish them. Man, you try to spank them by punishing them, you're going to have child abuse. But if you're trying to discipline that out of them, it'll be completely different. Does that make sense? When you're trying to deal with somebody, you don't need to grandstand and try to make a point, make a difference. How do you do that? Okay. You're trying to reveal to them a blind spot where they might be missing it. They might even know that they're doing it. In fact, what I've learned, especially when the moral thing comes up and people are like, oh my gosh, you know, they already know. You don't have to explain it. God's already ministering to them. They could tell you right now what the Lord's telling them to do, okay? You don't need to beat them over the head. You're not trying to punish them. That's not your role. You're just trying to reveal the blind spot or trying to bring it up so we can deal with this thing. You're trying to talk just enough so the Holy Spirit can bring conviction, not so you can bring condemnation. Do you see that there's a balance with this all? Don't leave this place and be like, Pastor Joe gave me a license to judge. I'm going to get everybody because I'm now the sin police. No, let's let the Holy Spirit play the role of the Holy Spirit. Not talking about that. <laughs> I've been at that church. You have to be a person who is doing this in love. And the best voices in my personal life, number one, they have relationship with me. Don't just go at somebody that you can see their sin from afar, and so you're going to go and call it out. You know, it's easy to see some people's sin because it's, it's, it's blatant, it's clear. I talked about some of those lifestyles or some of the things people do. It's easy to call those out. You need to not be so sensitive to them if you don't have relationship to them. Let, let God bring the right people or build a relationship where you would have the right to speak those things into that person's life. And so the best voices of my life, they have a relationship with me. I do have some Barnabas relationships. That's like brothers in Christ. But most of the people that give any correction in my life, they're above me. They have authority in my life. Number four, the best way to receive judgment is by hearing the word and making adjustments ourselves. You say, well, Pastor Joe, I don't want conflict. I don't want somebody to call me out. Well, neither do I. 
I think it's going to happen if you do Christianity right. However, there is a higher order that God wants to deal with you on. 1 Corinthians 11. For if we would judge ourselves, the Bible says, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, I like how it even says, like, it's a win. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. You're gonna ha- if you're doing Christianity right, people are going to be talking to you. When we are judged, we're chastened. The word is disciplined by the Lord. This is, again, it's not us judging you. It's God's already judged this, and he, he's using people to bring it to you. You're, you're being disciplined by a dad. That we may not be condemned with the world. Can it be any more clear? God's not trying to condemn you for the way that you're living. He's trying to help you. And and this, when we are judged, this has to be something that we don't think of this as an outlier, that we have relationships that when we're out of line, if we're going hysterical, or if if we're not in the right spot, that someone loves us enough to come in and say, hey, look, I love you. I can see that you're not doing okay. Does that make sense? To judge ourselves is actually a benefit of the relationship that God wants to have with you. Why? When you were a sinner, you accepted Christ. After you accept Christ, you are no longer a sinner. Paul makes it very clear in Romans, you do still sin, but it's in your flesh. Your spirit has been made new. Behold, all things have been made new. Your spirit is new and your spirit has God's righteousness doesn't mean that you're holy. Holy is like perfection. But your spirit is made righteous. In other words, righteous, you're in right standing with God. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? And here's the idea with all of this, is that because God has made you righteous and gifted that to you, he has people in his church, in your small group, Sunday school, and Bible studies inside, just sitting next to you at church. He has your pastor. He has a support system. But the goal is that you would become, number one, a self-feeder on the Word of God. And number two, you'd become a person that when you hear the Word of God, you judge yourself before anybody even has to get to you. That you deal with it. And, And before God even has to come to you and deal with it. Now listen, son, daughter, you're doing these things. It's not the best thing for you. But he doesn't want to deal with you anymore on the currency of sin. He's dealt with that. It's not that he won't because he's a father. But what he'd like to do is relate to you. The Bible says, John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you a friend. He is our heavenly father. He wants to relate to us in a loving relationship, right? And so what we have to understand, when we judge ourselves, we don't have to have every interaction between God about the wrong thing that we did. Some of you, your only speech to God is, oh God, forgive me. And I got to tell you, he does, and he's happy to. But he's got other stuff he'd like to talk to you about. God has great plans for you. God has a great future for you. Judge yourself so you're not judged. So the person that says only God can judge me, friend, there's a judgment day coming. And you're going to be judged on a righteous standard. And in my holy imagination, I just imagine that there's going to be people on judgment day. Maybe they come with us to heaven or maybe other people. I mean, the Bible says that we're going to be separated, but there's a time where we're all together on that day. Are they going to be angry with us because we didn't tell them what was going on? 
Nobody ever told me about that. Nobody was honest with me about these things. Nobody confronted me with a hard truth, and I needed to hear it. And they're going to face a judgment with a high standard. And friend, we have to preach the word of God. It would be unfair to be held to a, a godly standard if he didn't have a system with men of God and a support system to be able to bring correction and confrontation and teach people and instruct young people on how to live. If we don't let people know what's right or wrong, how will they know? I'm borrowing a lot of this message from a man named Steve Smotherman, man of God. And he told a story about his mother. And his mother was a church attender her entire life. She was uh, married to a military man, as I understand it. They traveled quite a bit. Uh, and wherever they went, she was in Germany, she attended church. She was over different parts of Europe or different parts of the country. She attended church. And in the church that she ended up attending for the rest of her life, it was her son's church, Pastor Steve's. And when she was there, she said, I, I got to forgive these people at the other churches. And she had one thing in particular, but it was about a lot of others as well. And she said, they never talked to me about tithing. They, they wanted us to be fluffy. They didn't want to offend anybody. They didn't want to go there and talk about that. Money's a serious thing. It offends a lot of people. And, and so they never talked about it, but you talked about it. And here's what she said. All of the blessings that God had for me, the, the fruit left on the vine, so to speak. Think about that. Think about how I was robbed of being a blessing to my church and other missionaries and, and other ministries that were really making it happen. I was robbed of being a blessing and receiving God's blessing in my life because nobody wanted to talk about the hard thing. My friend, I love you. You don't build big churches by preaching messages like this, but you will build and grow a quality church. I think that ultimately will result in the numbers, but you build people with messages like this. God has presented before all of us life and death, and he says, choose life. I am so glad that somebody walked into my life and said, Joe, if you don't get your life right with God, you're going to burn in hell. I'm so happy I was confronted with that truth. And here's what I believe about our church. I don't think for one minute the Garden Variety New Chapel person is going to leave this place with that license to judge everybody's sin. I don't think so. I think that what we're going to do is grant permission in groups and in relationship to get real about some things. You're going to find out really close whether you had that relationship that you thought you did. But the idea is this. We could walk this thing out sincerely before the Lord and together become everything that God has called us to be. Can I hear an amen, church? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your presence in this place. God, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for speaking to people's hearts. Thank you, God, for shedding light on what our role is with all of these godly discernments that we make every day, but what our role is supposed to be. But God, we're not just going to see somebody else's sin and, and, and think thoughts about them or gossip about them within our family or gossip about them within the church. No, we're, we're going to be loving brothers and sisters and go to those people and love them enough to do the hard thing. God, I pray against our church being judgy 
And the definition that we gave, condemning people, God, let it never be said of this house. Let it never be said of these people that we're condemning or rude or crude or just trying to make a point because we're not. But Lord, I pray that a real difference is going to be made. God, I know that there's people in the sound of my voice that are at a crossroads. Their hands are so sweaty right now. They wish they would have slept in when it was raining. But God, they came and they heard. God, now they have this opportunity to become everything you've called them to be. I pray for a holy boldness to rise up in them to take next steps. God, if there is anyone in the sound of your voice that doesn't know, a sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in the room right now and you don't have a relationship with God, if you're watching online, you don't have that relationship, we're going to pray in a moment a prayer making Jesus Lord over our life. The Bible says that when you make that decision, when you go from being Lord, boss, or God over your own life to making Jesus Lord, the Bible says you'll be saved. So I'm going to pray that prayer. If you mean it, the Bible says you'll be saved, you'll have an eternity in heaven, and you'll avoid a Christless hell. If you say it like it's poetry, you'll leave here the same that you came in. But I believe God is pulling at some people's hearts today. Now is your moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray this out loud with me. Pray, Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together for those people that accepted Christ. Now, I'm proud of you, and the reason why people are applauding you is because they made that decision, and we believe in the decision that you made. Let us know about it. I'm not going to call you forward, but at the same time, I want to send you information about the decision that you made. That same connection card that we talked about, people are filling out for a lot of reasons, prayer requests and first-time visits. No one's going to know why you're filling it out. Fill that out and put that in the drop box or put it over at guest services. We want to send you a note in the mail talking about next steps that God has for you. He has big things for you, and the least of which is to fill out that card. We're so proud of you. Now, a couple of announcements while you're still seated. On the 17th of this month, New Chapel is so excited to welcome back Pastor Robbie Emery. I don't know if you know our friend Robbie. He is the pastor at One Oak Church in uh, the east side of the state, and he is the special advisor or chaplain to the University of Michigan football team. His office is on the same level, and it's right next to Coach Harborough, or Harborough, whatever you call his name. This is tennis, right? Football, football. Robbie is a man of God, and that's the most important thing. And I'm going to tell you, when he comes, we never forget his messages. It is so stirring. You say, Pastor Joe, I'm a Michigan State fan. Perfect. Come here and figure out what the enemy is saying in Jesus' name. And if you're a Michigan fan, you come in here. Oh, I see. Any Michigan fans in the house? Yeah. 
everybody's playing it cool. They don't want to get judged. And so, so listen, this is a plus one weekend. Bring everyone that you know for that. We're going to have communion on October 24th, but one of the big announcements I want to share is we are announcing Trunk or Treat is happening this month. Are you excited about that? Very cool. Now, there is no good time to have this because the 31st is a Sunday. Some municipalities have trick-or-treating on Fridays and Saturdays and some on Sundays. The ones around us, uh, you're talking about Comstock Park, Alpine Township, Walker, Sparta, and et cetera, they're going to keep trick-or-treating on Sunday from 6 to 8. The best thing that we can do to reach the most families is trek with that. Will that make a little bit of a thick Sunday? I think it's going to be special sauce for all of us. Now, here's what we need. Next week, everybody say next week. I need you to bring candy. Don't bring granola bars. Whoever's doing that, we're going to give them back, okay? I want Reese's peanut butter cups. I want, I want Snicker bars. I want Skittles. I want to taste that rainbow, baby. And so you bring the good stuff from Sam's Club or from the grocery store. Also, I need a lot of you, like all, let's just say all of you, to sign up and decorate to host your car to be one of the trunks that we have for Trunk or Treat, and then make plans to be a part of this outreach. And the idea is outreach. Some people say, well, Pastor Joe, don't you know that Halloween is of the devil? Right, friend, we're now worshiping the devil here at New Chapel. And no, we are hijacking some wild thing that the world does, and we're making it into an outreach for the world. Can I hear an amen, church? And so make plans to be here yourself and make plans to bring people with you. The only thing that's going to make this successful is not just your participation in the trunk. It's also bringing people from the outside in. Can I hear an amen? Go ahead and stand up on your feet real quick. Uh, two more announcements before we leave. The work nights that we had this past Tuesday and Thursday were phenomenal. Thank you so much. Give a hand to those people that were serving and to yourself. Thank you so much. And guys, uh, we are going to be extending the fun this Tuesday and Thursday with shorter hours. We we're staying to the 8.30, 9 o'clock time frame. This will be a little bit shorter than that. But Tuesday and Thursday, we're having work nights. If you can come out, it would mean the world to all of us. New Chapel Connect is happening after second service. And my final announcement of the 145 I had to give today is that groups are in session. We had a great launch for groups. Anybody in groups in the room right now? Praise God. And so it is not too late. You're not behind the eight ball. Go to newchapel.com slash groups and sign up today. Join a small group, and I think you're going to enjoy what God has for you this fall. Woo! Y'all ready for the blessing? <laughs> Lift your hands. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, I love you guys. Have a great weekend. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.